0: Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host Ted Flanagan and today Econet News volume 26 issue number two February 29th 2024. Flanagan's net positive solar is surging. Utility scale solar is surging. This past year was a record year Solar was 49.3% of all U.S. capacity additions in 2023. Solar now constitutes 7.9% of the nation's total available generating capacity, tying hydropower. Combined with wind, biomass, and geothermal resources, renewables are now 29% of total U.S. generating capacity. Solar is rising and fast. Solar's capacity is expected to exceed wind and coal in the next three years. The U.S. Energy Information Administration reports that 18.4 gigawatts of solar was installed in 2023, double the prior year. That is expected to double again in 2024. Texas will add the most of solar, followed by California and Florida. Developers are expected to add at least 36.4 gigawatts of solar in 2024. EIA anticipates 470 new solar projects and 220 energy storage installations. There is 14.3 gigawatts of battery capacity anticipated for 2024. Solar power, paired with battery energy storage, is expected to account for 81% of all new capacity additions in 2024. Projects such as Gemini in Nevada will feature 690 megawatts of solar combined with a 380 megawatt, 1.4 gigawatt hour battery installation. Even bigger is an installation in California. The Edwards and Sanborn Solar and Energy Storage Facility is now operational in Kern County. It generates 875 megawatts of DC power and can store 3,287 megawatt hours of energy storage. Its total interconnection capacity is 1,300 megawatts, earning it the distinction, at least for now, as the world's largest solar plus storage facility. The project was developed as a public-private partnership with the Air Force. It is built on a mixture of private land and land owned by Edwards Air Force Base, specifically an unused portion of the base, a parcel of land on the northwest corner of the base. Developer TerraGen and the base signed an Air Force Enhanced Use Lease, EUL, for 35 years. Through the EUL program, the Air Force can lease underused land to private sector developers. The 4,660-acre project began in 2021 with substantial completion reported last year. It is made up of more than 1.9 million first solar photovoltaic panels and 120,720 LG Chem, Samsung, and BYD batteries. The Edwards and Sanborn Solar Plus Storage site supplies power to the city of San Jose, Southern California Edison, Clean Power Alliance, Pacific Gas and Electric, Starbucks, and others. We've come a long way, Don Osborne. Now retired, Don was Sacramento Municipal Utility District's first solar program manager and a visionary and advocate extraordinaire. He dreamt of a time when there would be at least 60 megawatts of solar production worldwide. Then the market would mature, he postulated. Today and in California alone, there are some 36,400 megawatts of solar projects anticipated this year. Nationwide, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, the FERC, reports a high probability of 87,098 megawatts of additional solar installed from 2024 to 2026. Others believe around 200,000 megawatts may be more likely in that three-year period. Solar is surging. Solar is becoming dominant. Quote of the month. Hydrogen is a versatile energy source that has a key role to play in the energy transition process. Hydrogen is the missing piece in the jigsaw when it comes to emissions-free mobility. Oliver Zipsy, Chairman of the Board of Management, BMW AG. California hits the 100% renewable mark. SB100 legislates that utilities in the state of California must be powered with carbon-free electricity by 2045, 50% by 2025. These are big, bold initiatives. Remarkably, the state's utilities are on track to reach the 2025 goal, and the 100% target is coming into sight too. The target is coming into sight with proof of concept. Several times now, the entire state of California has been powered by renewable energy. This has been achieved in Germany and Spain, and even Texas was 70% renewably powered one Sunday this month, 83% carbon-free when factoring in. Nuclear, in California, the first time was May 8, 2022, when renewables provided 103% of consumer demand. This year, the California Independent System Operator (CAISO) has reported that it has hit the 100% mark several times. On Sunday, February 18th, at 11:10 in the morning, and for the third time in nine days, renewables power the entire grid. On that day. The CAISO reported that renewables generated 108% of consumption, fulfilled by wind, 896 geothermal, 5.28%, small hydro, 1.71%, big hydro, 5.92%, and solar, 86.25%. At these times, fossil fuels are not totally eliminated. As the sun goes down, solar capacity has to be replaced quickly with hydro, and natural gas plants. Many of the large gas plants aren't designed to be turned on quickly. They take four to eight hours to ramp up. Thus, some of them must be left on to respond to and to meet the sundown demand. The result is that on some days, excess renewable power is exported out of state, and in worst cases, solar farms are turned off because there's simply too much power on the grid. To address the excess, batteries are being deployed. Good news, Energy storage has grown 20-fold in the past two and a half years in California. BMW's Hydrogen Series While automakers around the world are going battery electric, BMW Group considers itself to be an absolute pioneer in the hydrogen fuel cell EV space. It is supporting innovations and policies to shore up hydrogen technology, particularly green hydrogen, After four years in development, BMW has launched the BMW iX5 hydrogen pilot fleet. The new iX5 vehicles are now out on the road. The pilot fleet, deployed worldwide, will be used for trial and demonstration purposes. The iX5's hydrogen fuel cell system was developed by BMW at its Munich Research and Innovation Center. BMW gets the fuel cells from Toyota Motor Motor Corporation, The companies have been collaborating since 2013 on the fuel cell drives. Backing up a bit, electric vehicles come in different forms. Battery electric electric vehicles use batteries to store and discharge power to electric motors that propel the car. Fuel cell electric vehicles, FCEVs, have a tank of hydrogen on board. The hydrogen is then run through a fuel cell to generate electricity to power electric motors that propel the car. Each BMW iX5 has two fuel cell tanks on board that each hold three kilograms of hydrogen. This gives the car a range of 504 miles. Refueling takes only three to four minutes. FCEVs, like all cars, have an auxiliary battery to start the car and to power non-traction accessories. To make things complex, A hydrogen FCEV, like a battery EV, also has a traction battery on board for two reasons. It's just a lot smaller than that for a battery electric EV. First, the fuel cell generator feeds power to a high-performance lithium-ion battery, which is highly responsive and can deliver up to 295 kilowatts and 401 horsepower. The battery smooths out the power delivered from the fuel cell with the option to turn off or idle the fuel cell during low-power needs. Second, FCEVs use the battery for recapturing braking energy, providing extra power during short acceleration events. Munich, Germany is BMW's hometown. At its famous Bavarian plant there, it has produced motorcycles and later cars since 1922. Marking a fundamental shift, BMW will cease production of internal combustion ICE vehicles at the end of 2026. The plant will have manufactured ice vehicles for 75 years. Thanks to a 650 million euro investment, the plant will be entirely sh- shifted over to production of EVs. Taos's Electric Snowcat. The Taos Valley Ski Resort in New Mexico is a B-certified ski resort. It has a net zero target of 2030. It has already deployed electric snowmobiles, utility terrain vehicles, and snowblowers, Tausch now boasts that it is the first ski area in America with a fully electric snowcat, snow groomers that pack snow and create idyllic skiing, snowboarding, and snowmobile trail conditions. The Prineth Group is an Italian company that specializes in producing heavy equipment for challenging conditions, things like moving earth, grooming snow, and managing vegetation. It launched its first all-electric snow groomer in 2022, the Husky E-Motion. The Snow Snowcats have a number of benefits. They are more powerful than diesel models, with an instant torque of 1,000 newton meters, a unit of torque, also known as Moment. The cats have a 180 kW, 245 horsepower battery, with a storage capacity of 100 or 200 kilowatt hours, the latter providing power for three hours. They are quieter and cut carbon emissions by 1,100 pounds per shift. The first Husky E-Motion was purchased by the city of Oslo, Norway, where all city-owned vehicles and machines must be emissions-free by 2025. The Husky E-Motion was put in service at Holum Kolum, preparing World Cup trails. The next Husky slated for America will be headed to the Sleepy Hollow Inn Ski and Bike Center in Huntington, Vermont. Speaking of ski areas, the United States has lost 23% of its snowpack since 1955. Thus, ski areas are relying on supplemental artificial snowmaking systems that pipe water uphill and then use energy-intensive compressors to power snow guns. Gains have been made making this equipment more efficient and less at odds with climate protection. An initiative managed by Efficiency Vermont some years ago, the Great Snow Gun Roundup, replaced 10,000 outdated models, the new models using 80% less energy. Super Green Super Bowl This year's Super Bowl 58 was remarkable. It was the most watched event in the U.S. television history. According to Nielsen ratings, the game drew 123.7 million viewers and fully 202.4 million viewers watched at least part of the game. It was also the longest Super Bowl in history, being one of the only two of the 58 Super Bowls to go into overtime. It was also remarkable in that it was powered with green and clean energy, with no greenhouse gases. Some called it an environmental milestone, powered entirely by renewable energy. The hometown football team and stadium's anchor tenant, the Las Vegas Raiders, has entered into a 25-year agreement to power the stadium, With a solar field owned by NV Energy located in the nearby desert. NV Energy CEO Doug Cannon noted that Solar Farm would deliver more than 10 megawatts for the game, and the show must go on. Halftime is critical. Before the game, Cannon assured everyone that we will have enough power for Usher and all his lights and all the fanfare that'll be there. The Raiders, led by President Sandra Douglas Morgan, are proud of their steps with sustainability Allegiant Stadium is LEED Gold. Its roof is made of of a sustainable plastic material called ETFE that allows 10% of the daylight without the heat and thus cutting air conditioning costs. Energy optimization at the stadium is rooted in a state-of-the-art chiller plant. The stadium's grass field is moved outdoors on a rail system to reap natural sunlight rather than using energy-intensive grow lights. Allegiant Stadium is committed to developing sustainable policies and constantly improving on these efforts through waste diversion of 20 material streams. Grass clippings and food waste are composted. It donates 12,000 pounds of food scraps per game to a local livestock farm for feed. Water saving is equally sophisticated, with water saving fixtures cutting water use by hundreds of millions of gallons per stadium event. Wastewater nourishes the landscaping around the stadium using a subsurface dewatering system. The Raiders are also connecting with local community efforts, actively engaging team members and guests in sustainable practices. There's a big focus on education on game day. It's an impressive effort. Floating offshore wind updates. In September of 2022, the Biden administration built on its own goal of 30 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030, calling for 15 gigawatts of floating wind turbines by 2035. While conventional offshore wind turbines can be secured directly to the seafloor in shallow waters, deep water areas require floating turbines. Globally, far less than a gigawatt of floaters has been deployed compared to 50 gigawatts of fixed-bottom offshore wind. President Biden's Energy Earthshot Program, modeled after the famous Moonshot Initiative in the 1960s, includes the Floating Offshore wind shot, which aims at reducing costs by more than 70% by 2025 to $45 per megawatt of production. Floating wind turbines are now no longer a dream or future expectation. One wind farm off the co- coast of Portugal has been in operation for three years. At Eon Viana do Castello, three 8.4-megawatt wind turbines are chained to the seafloor and then connected with 12.4-mile-long cables that deliver wind power to the onshore substation. The world's largest floating wind farm is off Scotland. The Kincardine Wind Farm is nine miles off the coast of Aberdeen and is 50 megawatts in size, made up of 2 megawatt and 9.5 megawatt turbines. A recent announcement eclipses Kincardine in a big way. Engineering News Records reports that front-end engineering has begun on a 1,000 megawatts or, or one gigawatt floating wind farm off Ulsan, South Korea. The Han project will use the three-legged wind float platform developed by California-based Principal Power. Back stateside, The U.S. Bureau of Ocean Management, the BOEM, has finalized two offshore wind areas off Oregon's coast. Together, the areas total 195,112 acres and with a 2.4 gigawatt potential. The Coos Bay area is located 32 miles off the shore. The Brookings area is close to the California border and is 18 miles offshore. Oregon has a stated goal of three gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. Given the sheer drop-off, the turbines there will be floaters. BOEM claims to have worked hard to avoid 98% of the areas recommended for exclusion due to their importance as commercial fishing grounds. There is, however, continued opposition to the proposed wind farms from groups including the Confederated Tribes of the Coos, Lower Umpqua, and Suislaw Indians, Furthermore, the head of the Midwater Trawler's Cooperative stated that authentic engagement with BOEM has been non-existent and that BOEM will stop at nothing until our oceans are littered with wind turbines. The next step is for BOEM to prepare an environmental impact assessment of these areas. Offshore Wind and the Jones Act Canary Media presented an insightful piece this past week on how a little-known obscure federal law known as the Jones Act, is holding back the deployment of U.S. offshore wind. The Jones Act, more specifically Section 27 of the Merchant Marine Act of 1902, is impeding the installation of offshore wind turbines in America. It requires the maritime transport of goods from one point in the U.S. to another to be done using an American ship. The federal law requires that U.S. vessels move the goods. The problem is that the Jones Act applies to offshore wind, and moving parts from a port to an offshore wind farm requires American ships. But the U.S. lacks the right kind of vessels. In their stead, barges are being used that are highly inefficient in the turbine installation process. This is causing delays and time-related costs and has played a part in project cancellations. Canary reports that what the U.S. wind industry needs are wind turbine installation vessels, purpose-built vessels, transportation and construction rigs in one. WTIVs are special ships that are designed to carry turbine parts to their new sea homes. They have a big crane, deployable legs, and and dynamic positioning. They are common in Europe and other parts of the world. They are major ships with a major, major price tag of $625 million each, They can carry a crew of 119. The ships have onboard cabins, mess rooms, as well as cinemas, gyms, and hospitals. To be Jones Act compliant, the ships must be built in the United States, not at shipbuilding facilities in Europe or South Korea. They must be owned and crewed by Americans. There is one being built in Texas that will be fully compliant, but experts claim that five to six WTIVs, are needed to support the US offshore wind industry. Sea gliders. Sea gliders are a new form of transportation designed by two MIT aerospace engineers and envisioned for island-to-island transportation. Instead of flying 13,000 feet above the water like a small commuter plane, sea gliders will fly just a wingspan above the water's surface. Planned for short hops between islands, sea gliders are boats that can rise up to 30 feet above the waves. Instead of flying high, the sea glider operates like a hovercraft using the ground effect, the cushion of air beneath the wings, like a plane, like a flying boat. The Regent sea glider is an all-electric, eight-engine aircraft that will take off and land on water the same way a seaplane does, but flies at 180 miles per hour just above the water's surface. Imagine a quick trip to the Hamptons or the Vineyard, It attains high speed on a cushion of air. They're anticipated to have half the operating costs of conventional aircraft with much less noise and emissions. With a range of 180 miles, they may serve well as a very fast commuter aircraft between urban centers and coastal areas, at least six times as fast as a conventional ferry. The Sea Gliders are being funded by the Founder Group, a group of investors including Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks lunching and learning, the power of the increment. A few days ago, I was pleased to be the motivational lunch and learn speaker for a corporation that is focused on climate change and its employees' actions to promote sustainability. It was for the State of California State Compensation Insurance Fund, Workers' Comp, and was a half hour long followed by a wide range of questions. The virtual lunch and learn focused on sustainability. It's seven spheres and the massive carbon threat to sustainability. Then the focus was on our individual carbon footprints, and then how to cut carbon in our lives in both really simple and big ways, from installing LEDs, carpooling, buying locally, to reducing packaging. The presentation was peppered with actions that each of us can take daily to save a ton. The talk ended with a vision of the future, of a higher quality of life, with new integrations, like smart cars integrated as appliances, supporting not only our carbon reductions, but also providing community benefit through the vehicle-to-grid integration. V2G is a win-win advance and a harbinger of synergies that will actually enhance the quality of our lives while mitigating environmental damages. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.